So just for a bit of background before we start, um, we're coming to the end of the book of Acts. And the Apostle Paul has reached this point where he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout Greece and Asia Minor. Um, and because he doesn't want to build on another man's foundation, he knew he must go to Rome to preach the gospel. We saw Paul last week in the last few weeks has been under Roman God <coughs> in Caesarea, essentially for his safety from the Jews. And we saw Paul make his defence to the Roman leader, Festus, and he appeals directly to Caesar. And Festus replies, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So this is, this is what we read in uh, chapter 25, but it was always, God had always confirmed to Paul that he was to go to Rome um, to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus there. Uh, so this is the point we get to in Acts 27. And previously, uh, Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So here in 27 we see the Lord literally answers that prayer and he puts things in motion for Paul to go to Rome. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 27, if you want to follow with me, and we have it on the screen as well. And when it was decided that we, remember Luke is the writer, we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramtium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. And Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And there's so much, as we go through this, you'll see there's so many names, there's so many places, there's so much in this journey here that we can get lost with. But we're going to go through it at a reasonable pace, and there's four key areas that we're going to look at in context um, in the context of this passage and I hope that I hope will help us grab onto this text and and and, and obviously what God wants to speak to us here tonight um, but the first the first point in this passage as we get into uh, these these first sort of three verses is that God fulfills his word to us God fulfills his word to us and so let's see that God is fulfilling his word to Paul as this journey to Rome begins. And it was God's will for Paul to go to Rome. And that was confirmed on three distinct occasions in the scriptures. And feel free to look these up afterwards. But in Acts 19.21 we see God confirmed this word to Paul through the Spirit. As Paul purposed in the Spirit. And the second occasion was the Lord Jesus himself. When Paul was in Jerusalem in Acts 23.11. Uh, spoke directly to Paul. And then in this chapter we see an angel sent from the throne of God. In verse 24. And each time this same word is confirmed to Paul. Isaiah 44, 24 says, I am the Lord who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messages. And God is faithful to fulfill his word to us. And we've been looking at this in our home groups. If you go to a home group in First Samuel, how the Lord established his word 
and not one word of God fell to the ground. And we see that through Hannah, how he established his word through Hannah. And, but also ultimately how we see the fulfilment in Jesus, how every promise of God has its fulfilment in Jesus Christ. And that's the overriding theme I want us to see tonight, that not one word of God fails. Not one word will fall to the ground in everything God has promised Paul. So first notice in verse 1, the we, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, uh, is there with Paul on the ship. So he's giving a first-hand account of this journey, which is important because it's, we know everything here is an eyewitness account. Um, as well as Luke, we see another brother, Aristarchus, and that's a name we might remember from Paul, Paul's travels to Macedonia. But most of the other prisoners on this vessel would essentially be condemned criminals being sent to Rome to the arena. But we see Paul and the others put into the care of this Roman centurion and, and some of his regiment. And notice Paul was allowed to travel with his companions. You know, he was also allowed to stop off in Sidon, that's of Tyre and Sidon. But as we read on here, we see the, the ship docked, and Paul was actually allowed to visit some of his friends there. And you see the favour he had with this uh, centurion. And we see how God uses this relationship uh, as we go on. But verse 4, I've got a few maps here as well, which are going to be helpful. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. So after a difficult first leg of hugging this Mediterranean coastline, uh, we see Paul passes his uh, home region of Cilicia. Of course, he's from Tarsus. Um, and they board another ship at Myra with the intention of sailing directly to Rome. Uh, but because the, uh, the conditions, uh, although you could sail directly to Rome, there was um, uh, grain ships that would be sailing from Alexandria. It would be quite a common connection to go straight to Rome because of the weather because of the conditions they make, they make a, a bit of a, a detour which we see in verse 7 when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty of Snidus I think the ship not permitting us to proceed uh, sorry the wind not permitting us to proceed we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon passing it with difficulty we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. So with the conditions and everything else described here, and because of its design, this ship couldn't sail directly into the wind. Uh, so they literally had to seek refuge on the island of Crete. So instead of sailing directly to Rome, they stop off in Fair Havens. I don't know about you, but Fair Havens, it sounds like a bit, I don't know, it sounds like a retirement home, Fair, Fair Havens. I just look, you have this picture of all the names you read, place names you read in the Bible, Fair Havens. Um, just gives me one of the nicest images, but you imagine really nice people, really a pretty little seaside town. Um, but it was actually quite exposed. It was quite an exposed winter, uh, especially in winter, uh, a port of, of Crete. But it actually means goodly ports. Uh, verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helms, helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken of by Paul. And because the harbour was not suitable to winter in, 
the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. So we see Paul speaking here for the first time. And the second point, the second point I wanted to make was that God speaks both prophetically and practically. And we see that through Paul here. So the first time Paul speaks, we see there's a fast that was observed, possibly related to the day of Pentecost, which would have happened during the month of October. So notice Paul and the others have been fasting and seeking the Lord, essentially, during their time in Fair Havens. And we see this word was bought by Paul after this time with the Lord. Um, but we know it was prophetic because we see the fulfilment of it. As we'll see when we, when we read more about the, uh, this ill-fated voyage. But uh, as well as receiving this word, Paul, I think he also spoke from practical experience. And he perceived that if they left the port of Fair Havens at the time, um, the crew wanted to, the ship and the crew and everyone would be destroyed. And I think we have to realise that Paul, by this point, was a very seasoned traveller of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and maybe the most experienced uh, person on this vessel. <laughs> Uh, to make a decision about when to sail. Uh, and he knew uh, sailing in this season was very dangerous. Uh, we read in Second Corinthians 11, by this point, Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was spent in the deep. So God used Paul's practical experiences to bring this advice as well. So Paul, he warns Julius and the crew and they choose to disregard his advice. And the crew sets sail for what they think is a, what they think is a better choice of port. Uh, some 40 miles on the western side of the island. It's not very far. But notice how this short journey begins. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So essentially the crew had ignored a word from God's apostle, whether it was prophetic or practical or a mixture of the two. But I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, as God speaks to us in both the prophetic and practical, are we following what he's saying? Because at first, you know, things appear to be going well. Paul's words must have seemed like a bit of an overreaction to these crew, crewmen. Uh, they just wanted to travel the short distance around the island to this port where they'd be less exposed to the weather but then we see this interesting uh, verse when the south wind blew softly supposing that they had obtained their desire so initially things were going quite well for them you know they'd, they'd obtained their desire their, the, di- the direction the ship was going in the wind everything was favourable the conditions were looking good happy days you know but that you know I was thinking you know, isn't it true when we ignore God's counsel you know we go a different path a different course to what God has for us. We might not suffer the consequences straight away. We might not see the consequences of our actions. But there are always consequences. And sure enough, notice what happens. Without warning, the soft southern winds turn to a ferocious wind, a Euroclidon. I'm sure Ollie might know a bit more about what type of weather that is, but it's uh, essentially it's a cyclonic wind. We're talking about a... a a cyclone out at sea. And it was a ferocious, ferocious wind. Um, but Paul would have known about this wind, having sailed in the Mediterranean. Um, that would happen at this time in winter, and it was possibly something he feared would hit this voyage as he set sail from Fairhaven. So the, 
the point is the crew should have listened to Paul's advice. You know, I think we would have seen them remain under the protection of God's counsel, under the protection of God's covering. Um, but instead, they'd be carried out of control by these strong winds. And no doubt, no doubt, if Paul's advice had been followed, the journey would have turned out quite differently. Um, but it's important to say, you know, walking the path that God has chosen for us doesn't negate suffering. I think knowing, as we suffer, knowing that we are in the will of God as we go through suffering is great consolation because we know our suffering is in Christ. And it's Christ in whom our consolation abounds. And the Apostle Peter said, It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. One last point on this word spoken by Paul. We can see that he prepared his heart to hear from God. He was in communion with the Father. He was fasting. He was seeking God. God spoke to him. How can we expect to hear from him if we don't spend time asking and seeking and listening? And Paul knew God's will because he knew God. And John said last week, the greatest thing about knowing Jesus is knowing Jesus. I think we could save ourselves so much pain and heartache if we actually went to God in prayer, in communion, casting our cares upon him. And we sing this in a well-known hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So verse 16. And, when, and running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when, we had, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Surtees sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So, essentially because the sky was continually overcast, they couldn't navigate. By day, using the sun, by night, using the moon and the stars, they couldn't navigate. Essentially, the crew had no hope of survival at this point. And they feared crashing into these, this Surtees Sands, it's an infamous uh, wrecking area off the coast of North Africa. Um, so at this point, they just sailed with the wind and they just gave up any hope any hope of navigating in this storm. So they were literally just sailing out of control. In verse 21 we see, But after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the of, of the." An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So we see this this visitation by an angel. Confirming God's purposes, like I said. This is the third confirmation Paul had. That he was to go to Rome and preach the gospel. And I think 
by sending this angelic messenger. It was as if God was saying, I haven't forgotten you, Paul. Be encouraged. This would have been a very powerful affirmation for Paul in the midst of this storm. It would have been a, a much-needed word of encouragement for Paul, as well as the crew. In Psalm 119, the psalmist prays, Establish your word to your servant, who is devoted to fearing you. And I can imagine Paul praying this kind of prayer. And God reminded Paul, essentially, that he would bring his word to pass. And Paul could remain silent about this vision. But no, he immediately shares this word of God with the crew. And that's the third point I wanted to bring tonight. Others benefit as we follow God's word. So no doubt Paul also laboured in prayer, not just for his journey, but for the safety of those uh, crew members, believers and non-believers alike. You know, and God responded and granted their safety because of Paul's faithfulness. And I think as hard as this journey in life can be, our faith has to be in the power of God, and not in earthly things, not in the wisdom of men. And Paul, despite the storm, And the hopelessness that surrounded him. His eyes were firmly fixed on God. And God used his messenger, this angel, sent from the throne of God to establish his word to his servant. So Paul relayed this good news to the crew, saying, God to whom I belong and whom I serve. For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And Paul was basically saying, be encouraged, because God has given me assurance of your safety. And I believe God. Notice Paul didn't say, I believe in God. Which is quite an important distinction. Because every believer, I think we can say with assurance, I believe God. We have that assurance. We have that conviction. I believe God. We start off saying, I believe in God. (laughs) I believe in God. I put my trust in God and what he has done for me. But Paul was actually saying, I believe God. I believe God's promise will not fail. His word will not fail. And every demon in hell believes in the existence of God. They believe in God, but they don't believe God's truth. They don't believe God's purposes. They work against God's purposes. But Paul believed God and his promise to keep him. And not just him, the whole crew as well. 276 people on board this ship and that's the essence of faith right there at this point in the chapter I believe this is a very important point Paul's faith wasn't a fair weather faith you know it was a, a Job faith remember Job verse, chapter 30 verse 15 Job said though he slay me yet I will trust him though he slay me yet will I trust him So our faithfulness will benefit the people around us. And as we follow God's word, God's revelation, the next question is, are we allowing God's revelation to change our hearts? Are we looking to be right or helpful to others? As Paul addresses the crew, you know, he appears to have this I told you so moment. (laughs) Basically, if they'd listened to Paul's advice, they wouldn't be in this mess. They'd still be in fair havens, you know, having a meal, doing whatever, keeping dry. Certainly not in this position. <clears throat> but I don't believe Paul's motive uh, here was to make the crew feel worse, but to give them hope. Paul says, take heart. Be encouraged. God has spoken to me again. Do not be afraid. 
So notice, despite this situation that came about as a direct result of the crew ignoring God's word or the wise counsel that God brought through Paul, Paul speaks to the crew with grace and love. When he could have, you know, it's so easy to, when you see someone choosing a path that you know isn't God's path for them and things not going how they had intended, you know, first of all, things go okay. Uh, but then there's consequences and it's very easy to be, I don't know, certainly prideful, but even spiteful, you know. Um, when you look at a person's plight, I think, oh, if only they listened to me. But that wasn't Paul's heart and that's not what God wants to do through us if we see people in that situation. God wants to restore people back to him and he wants to do that through us. He doesn't want to make them feel worse. Paul in Galatians Chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such as one in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual, restore such as one in a spirit of gentleness. And God doesn't revel in anybody's misfortune. He doesn't say, I told you so. And leave it at that. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. To restore and make whole. And this is how God wants to use us as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul knew he would make it to Rome because God promised it. Yet in the storm it was easy for Paul to doubt and he needed this assurance. But we also say these words of encouragement and hope are for those who we sail with. Um, and because of Paul's, I want us to say as well that because of Paul's faithfulness, it affected those around him because of his walk his righteousness, his heart before God because of Paul's walk with Jesus. All those on board, every 276 people on board that ship were also covered under the grace and the protection of God because of Paul's faithfulness, because of his prayers. And they were protected. And then we get the bad news. Yet the ship would be destroyed and would be run aground as bad as that was. But everyone's life would be spared. I don't know about you, but if someone said that to me and I was on board this ship, I'd be like, seriously? The ship's going to be destroyed and run aground, yet everyone's going to survive? It's impossible. It's not going to happen. How can that be? And, you know, I think there's a wider application as well. When we look at the world, the rejection of God's counsel. God has given us everything we need to live in a way that is acceptable before him to, to be saved and yet we reject his counsel but we are the children of light we are the ones who God wants to use to bring this good news to bring this message of hope and encouragement to other people God through us wants to bring hope and salvation and restoration through his son Jesus Christ verse 27 now when the 14th night had come as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot 
be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. By the way, a skiff is like a, a lifeboat. <laughs> I had to look that one up as well. <laughs> Didn't have a clue what a skiff was. Uh, but essentially, this, they wanted to save their own hides. You know, they wanted to cut off the lifeboat and escape. You know, and for more than two weeks, this storm raged on. Um, but under the cover of darkness, they heard the sound of breakers on the shore, so they knew they were close to land. So they took soundings, and they put down their anchors, and they prayed. You know, I think we're talking about a, a ship of hardened sailors praying, <laughs> you know, probably for the morning to come and for the storm to subside. But I think we see this response a lot. Um, only when faced with tragedy and maybe it's their own personal tragedy or, or uh, someone they care about, people pray. It's a natural response. Now, I believe it's a response God has put in us. He gives everyone a measure of faith to, to pray and believe there is a God who, who is sovereign and in control. Um, but it's funny, it takes, it takes a situation like this for them to pray, <laughs> despite there being a man like Paul. But in contrast to this, we see Paul and the other believers praying throughout the storm in the midst of the storm trusting God to deliver all of them not just praying for their own safety and it's interesting Paul has the discernment here as well through God's word to know that if they cut free this lifeboat and escape they're actually removing themselves from under the protection of God's covering and Paul saw that Paul knew they must stay together and run aground as difficult as that was so Paul manages to convince the centurion, Julius, of this. And the ropes to the skiff were cut on his order. And again, we see Paul had favour with this Roman escort. He was um, treated kindly. And, and we'll see, we'll see uh, uh, Julius, the centurion, actually does something a bit more dramatic in the next section. So verse 33, we continue. As day was about to dawn... Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So this was the final day of their journey aboard this ship. And Paul knew unless the crew ate, they would be too weak to face whatever lay ahead of them. And Paul speaks to the crew. He says, not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. He repeats this assurance, a promise, that the Lord God would protect their lives and bring, past, bring to pass the word he confirmed through Paul. So notice that Paul is consistent with the message that God wants him to give to others. He's consistent. So Paul speaks words of comfort to them as he too had been comforted by God on this journey. We know from 1 Corinthians that God, you know, this is one of the purposes of trial. That we can provide the same comfort to others as they experience the difficulties that we have. And then we see this special meal. They break bread and with the crew, uh, present obviously, and they give thanks. And I think in terms of being right and helpful, 
to others. Notice the witness that this was to the rest of the passengers. In verse 36 we read, They were all encouraged by this point and also took food themselves. So the 276 passengers, prisoners, sailors, soldiers, witnessed Paul and the other believers having this time of thanksgiving to God. And I would stop short of saying this was a a communion type meal because we know predominantly there there wasn't that many believers on this boat. And they were doing it for the benefit of the crew as well. It was a more of thanksgiving meal, a bit like a bring and share, I can imagine. But notice that their actions were right in honouring before God. And their behaviour, their manner was helpful to those around them as well. And I think often we do one or the other, but we need to do both together. I think it's important not to be ashamed of our faith. Quite often we talk about saying grace and saying God bless you and all these, these Christian mannerisms that we have sometimes. My wife is much better at it than I am. And she just says it in a very natural and genuine way when she's out and about speaking to people. And you know, she'll, she'll, She's the first one to say grace. She's the first one to say God bless you or, or whatever it is. You know, and that's just an, ex, an extension of her, her faith. It's not a pretentious thing. You know? And I think we all have this. We take it for granted. But I think don't underestimate the effect our, our faith, our faithfulness has on those around us. Don't underestimate the effect we can have on people because, and Christians and non-Christians alike, I think you'll be surprised next time you're out for that nice restaurant meal um, and you're saying grace, instead of thinking, having the fear of men, thinking, oh, I wish you'd hurry up and finish. Just think of those people who you're actually encouraging by doing that. So in verse 38, we see the wheat being the most important cargo. Obviously, the food was the last thing to be chucked overboard. But notice, because this was their last meal aboard the ship, Paul made sure that it was honouring to God. So verse 39. And when it was day, they did not recognise the land, but they observed a bay with a beach, onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing, loosing the rudder ropes... And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And they didn't know it at the time. But they'd reached the coast of Malta. So from fair havens and wandering aimlessly for two weeks from Crete. They come to Malta, which is obviously, as you can see, the uh, distance to Rome from there. And what's absolutely certain is that they did not navigate their ship intentionally to Malta. That wasn't by design. And if they'd missed Malta, they'd have to hold on for another 200 miles before they reached the coast of Tunisia. And that ship, there's no way that ship would have lasted that long. It was purely by God's divine intervention that they reached Malta. So having lifted the anchors, they navigated the ship to the shoreline as best they could. But the, broke, the, the ship was obviously being it was stuck in shallow water. It was being broken up by these large breakers. Um, and you can imagine, yeah, I mean, you can imagine the, the, the reaction on, on board this ship as, as, it, as it reached this literally crunch point for the, for the ship and the crew. Um, we see in verse 42 that it was the soldiers' plan to actually kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, 
kept them from their purpose. And it sounds quite harsh that after all this time on the ship, seeing all these wonderful things that that happened uh, in in the most difficult circumstances, but the way in which Paul witnessed to the crew and encouraged the crew, and not just you know soldiers, sailors, prisoners alike, um, we see this reaction from from the Roman escort, this garrison of, of, of Roman soldiers. They actually want to kill the prisoners, but for a Roman soldier, it made more sense to kill his prisoner because if his prisoner escaped, he would suffer the same uh, punish, penalty, punishment as that prisoner was sentenced to. So that, that Roman soldier would go into the arena and be fed to the lions if his prisoner escaped. That's why they drew swords and they were about to execute every single prisoner on that ship. So you can just, just picture the scene, picture the ship being broken up, um, literally just absolute chaos, swords drawn. There's Paul, there's Julius. I don't think things could have gotten much worse from a human perspective. Anyway. And that's the last point. That we can trust God's word regardless of the circumstances. The circumstances couldn't have been worse. Yet Paul knew what God had spoken. Paul knew what God wanted to bring to pass. God had confirmed his word to Paul that every life would be spared. And God's word does not fail. And we see this centurion showing Paul favour. Uh, and God uses him, um, no doubt, all the way through this voyage. You know, he stands in between his regiment. And not one hair on their head was touched because of his intervention, just, just as God had promised. And he also organises the passengers off the ship as well, by the safest means possible. So God's using this man. Last verse, verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship... And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Amen. So Paul and all those on the ship arrived safely on the island of Malta. Not by intention, but by God's divine intervention and grace. Fulfilling God's promise that no life would be lost. And it would be another three months until Paul and the others reached Rome. Um, but without this respite, they would have all perished. There's no way they would have survived. It really is a remarkable journey. It was actually quite difficult to prepare for this and to actually understand what God wanted to speak through this message. But the overriding theme, the overriding message I believe God wants us to take away from this is that his word does not fail. That all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, we saw God will fulfill his word to us. Secondly, we saw that God's word to us is both prophetic and practical. But most importantly, do we listen to it? Do we heed his word? And do we follow it? As we do follow it, others will benefit. But we need to be intentional about being helpful to others. And finally, we can trust God's word regardless of our circumstances. So these are the four things I wanted to frame this this word, this passage tonight, if you like, just to help us understand it. I think if, if, if there was one, one scripture, one passage in the Bible that was to sum up this journey, this, it would be Proverbs chapter 3. It says, let's not lean on our own understanding. but trust in the Lord with all our heart and in all our ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's exactly what we see happening here with Paul. And as we do, the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with us. Amen.